You're listening to Taverncast 35. Okay, kids, somebody hit it off. off your favorite drinking mug, order up a pint of strong ale, and settle in. It's time for another round of Tavern Cast, with your hosts, Cromley, Eloisius, Infernal Bill, and Ken Kater. Hey everybody, welcome to an all-new Tavern Cast. I'm Infernal Bill. This is Ken Kater. This is Eloisius. And this is Cromley. You can uh, find us on the web at www.taverncast.com where you can find all kinds of great news, our forums, and cool stuff. Or you can reach us by phone at, what's that number again? 734-418-8727. Hey, and head up to iTunes and uh, pull up TavernCast and leave us a nice review up there. Or leave us a bad review, either way. But yeah. leave us something. It would be really great to uh, see added reviews. But just remember that gibberish. karma karma is a bitch. So, you know. <laughs> yes, she is. Out where they say, let us be gay. I'm going Hollywood. I'll ballyhoo. Greetings to you. I'm going Hollywood. Hey, while you sleepy heads are in that hay, I'll be dancing. I'm going to be dancing with a sun kissed baby, and I'm on my way. Here's my beret. I'm going Hollywood. So today is our movie magic show. I'm very excited about this. Welcome to Tavern Cats number 35. <laughs> movie magic. I'm not sure the kids today are going to remember the old film strips, but that's cool. Yeah. Are you kidding me? They heard him on previous tavern cast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe they didn't get him at that point. <laughs> Why is Bill going back on a field trip? <laughs> do they ha- do they have those in t- in um at school anymore? The old film no, stuff, yeah. or do they just real the real? I'm sure, they're all video by now. All like PowerPoint or something. YouTube. Do you guys remember the old Coronet films? It was a company named Coronet, and it would be like you know, Sounds Sally familiar. gets a new shoe, Bobby gets a dog. Whatever, and it's like they're like moral tales. So like you know, uh, Bobby gets his dog, and then he loses him somewhere, and the moral is like treat your dog well or some stupid <laughs> nonsense. No. We were one of the last I generations, the I think, to have those, yeah. and b- before they phased them out. And I, I remember seeing a few of them in elementary school. It's funny. Everything used to have to have a moral guideline because I was talking to um, well, my son was in here, and, and then all of my kids were in here. We were looking up YouTube. We just mm-hmm. happened to look up old '80s cartoons, which may be a future tavern cast. But before it is, mm-hmm. we saw He-Man, and we ended up watching a whole episode of He-Man. And the most amusing part was at the very end where they go, "This week on He-Man, or today on He-Man, Orko 
people learn that it's better to share than to, you know, than, and it's like they had to have some kind of moral, you know, guideline or worth so kids could just or parents could justify having their kids watch 30 minutes of television and not feel, you know, totally negligent. Now yeah, we nowadays, ads. you just watch these uh, training films on DVD and it's like, so we learned here today that killing is wrong, but it may not be wrong for you if you don't believe that way. Or if your religion teaches that it's all right. Or if you've been paid to kill someone. Or if you just like to do it to have fun. Or if you're drunk. Or if you're stoned. Or if there's any reason you have at all to kill someone, it's okay. That's right. You've heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is true. They, they're very <laughs> they're very loath to take a stand on one thing or another. This has been another exciting production in the morally ambiguous line of training films. That's true. But we're instead of doing obscure, moral-oriented movies, ADMs. I think we're looking at... Yeah. More mainstream stuff. That's good. So I why don't we get into uh, our themed drink of this themed show? What are we drinking? It's exciting. Wow. I'm, proud of, I'm proud of you guys. It's exciting stuff right there. Eloy brought up the idea that in every great movie, you've always got the cool guy out drinking nothing but a martini so that's what we're having today we're having martini so that my favorite martini of all time we my dad and i sort of made it up see most fathers and sons you know do like woodworking out in the garage we, we just drink <laughs> and um so this is what we call a perfect 10 martini which is odd because it's not exactly a perfect martini. A perfect martini is one with equal parts of uh, vermouth, dry vermouth and sweet vermouth, as well as the applicable, you know, alcohol. If you have a dry, you'll use less vermouth. Sweet is more vermouth. This one has got, um, you use Tanqueray 10 gin. You can either make a gin or vodka, basically your choice. I really love Tanqueray 10. You put a Tanqueray 10, you take two parts of Tanqueray 10, one part of dry vermouth and one part sweet vermouth and you shake them all up in some ice and you strain them out so it comes out straight and it comes out a cool golden color and I guarantee you for those of you who don't even like martinis because martinis can be pretty tough for the uh, for the unexperienced or the unwashed this these go down so smooth in my opinion I have never had a martini go down smoother that's what she said how do you guys like them right I'm, I've always been a fan of vodka martinis, so this one's a little bit new to me. Actually, I, it, I think it's fine. It tastes uh, pretty good. The thing that uh, brought us to the martini at all is that I, I went up and I checked out a site called MissCharming.com. Um, there's the woman who runs the site. It's named Cheryl Charming. She's a she's a published author uh, and a bartender and all-around mix master supreme. And she's got a page up there on silver screen cocktails, so the the uh, cocktails of the movies. And I inquired with her as to see which was the most oft-drank drink. Does that make sense? Oft-drank drink? <laughs> oft-drank drink in the uh, drink? in the movies. And she confirms that it is, in fact, the martini, which is why we're drinking it. I'm thinking of like Casablanca, the old um, Alfred Hitchcock movies. James Bond, of course. James Bond, of course, shaken, not stirred. Which, unfortunately, you know, it, my martini is stirred. I'm, I'm really not. I'm, I'm kind of one of those noobs you were mentioning, Bill. I'm not one of those. Yeah, I am too. Um, martini drinkers, but honestly, a little bit more sweet vermouth, and this really isn't that bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a poke in the eye. It, it could be worse. You know, you could, you could get, get poked, poked in, the, in the rectum. You know what you guys got to do? You guys got you guys aren't thinking movies enough. We got this theme show. Here's what you need to do. You need to close your eyes and vision like smearing a little bit of Vaseline around the edges of the lens on the camera so you get that like soft focus oh. thing, you know? And you got to pump up a little bit of that like 
high oh, romance 1930s Betty Davis, you know, um, melodrama kind of thing. And you got to just sip your martini, and you know, someone you, you got to say something like, like in to the tavern cast um, audience, like, um, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I think they're wearing drinking martinis in that movie, but okay. Gone with the wind. Fifty-four. <laughs> <laughs> it's time. It's funny because martinis always used to be gin. Whenever you got a martini and you wanted a, you know, a regular martini, it was always gin. And I think it was in the the James Bond movies that really started the movement, really made vodka martinis the the drink of choice for martini drinkers. Uh, Cheryl up at Miss Charming says the same. She said, uh, uh, Dr. No, uh, mm-hmm. 1962, started the vodka martini craze. Uh, actually, the first mention of vodka being part of a martini was in the 1953 British novel Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he later names that drink the Vesper. Oh, really? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So is that the big difference between that and, a, and, and the older martini, is that it's vodka and not gin, or is it also the shaken, not stirred stuff? No, you know, really any drink that you, you pour that's kind of in a shot or, you know, is very straight, it can be a martini. You can have any drink as a martini. But they always used, the classics were always gin. Then you can, if you have it straight up, it's essentially without any ice, you know, on the rocks, obviously. Shaken um, gives you a little bit. It adds it make it makes it a little bit more watered down, and but it blends it a little bit better. So in the process of shaking, especially over shaved ice, it's going to um, dilute it a little bit, as opposed to putting it over, say for instance, the rocks and and then straining it out. Now you can put it over the rocks and drink it over the rocks, and that'll get much more diluted. Hmm. And then you have your choice of garnish. You can either use like a a lime wedge, or I'm sorry, a lemon skin, or you can put. Um, I, you know, I like olives. So, the, and the olives are great because you let you just put them in there, and they marinate the whole time, and then you take them out, and it's like, you know, if you don't have like the full bar set, and you don't want to, you want to be cool and do a shaken martini, which I like, and you don't have a shaker, all you have to do is just go old school style or college style, and put it in a big glass, and put an even bigger glass on top of it, shake it up, and then just tip the glasses open a little bit, so just you know, you just strain it out. But, you know, you might want to think of being even cooler and going to your local liquor store or BevMo and getting a little strainer tin that you can just put over the top of the glass. I think they cost a buck and a half. See, um, I happen to remember, though, someone whose name is Rhyme with Rice trying to do that at home. <laughs> <laughs> so what was their vodka Unsuccessfully. <laughs> no, I, I, I seem to remember Cat. in your apartment, uh, <laughs> there was a, it was, the glasses actually got sealed together. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah, so you can uh, visit Cheryl Charming's awesome <laughs> site at www.misscharming.com. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. Well, I need to refill mine, so I'm going to go get some ice real quick. I'll be right back. Okay. Shake it. Shake it. Don't stir oh, yeah. It. Shake it like you mean it. Remember to wipe Vaseline around the edge, too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what? I'm just talking about it's a film thing. Yeah. Vaseline, lens, soft, whatever. Strikes. 
everyone knows what an actor, director, or producer does, but there are many other roles played during the production of a film that aren't as brightly lit by the spotlight. It takes a team of professionals, artists and engineers alike, to turn a simple story into movie magic. We'll start off with one of the least understood titles in a film's credits, The Gaffer. A gaffer in the motion picture industry is the head of the electrical department. They work directly with the director of photography and are responsible for the execution and sometimes the design of the lighting plan for a production. In British English, the term gaffer is long established as meaning an old man or the foreman of a squad of workmen. Can you get on a boat and check out these waters? No. Well, this is not a boat accident. There wasn't any propeller. There wasn't any coral reef. And it wasn't Jack the Ripper. It was a shark. most important movie of all time and you think of the quintessential movie with a capital M which one is that what quintessential is, it? is not spelled with an M <laughs> I'm just saying it's not wait okay so I just want to make sure I understand the parameters because I don't want to get a wrong answer because you know Fail. so are we talking about <laughs> movies that are important to the most important movie to me or the most important movie to every what I think is the most important movie to the industry or the world rather Let's just make let's make it broad. If okay. if if you I like broads. I'm sorry, what? So let's talk about the mo- what's the most historically significant or society shaping film you think of when you think of that? What's the biggest one of all time? Oh gosh. I'd have to say especially for the modern age. Now you, I guess you could go back and look at old school, you know, films. What is the first film ever? I mean that that certainly started in an industry or you know I think that's all applicable though. But for not but it is applicable, but not being a student of film, you know, and not having ever gone to film school, I wouldn't feel qualified to know. But from my own perspective, when looking around, the, looking at the world around me, looking at my generation, looking at the generations immediately before me, certainly the generations that you know I'm bringing up, I'd have to say it's got to be Star Wars. Um, oh yeah. Though I'm though I'm loath to say, <laughs> though I know people are groaning to hear it. I mean, consider it. It just it. It came out at a time when westerns were prevalent, 1977, right? And so many of us were at formative, especially people listening to this podcast, were at formative ages. And it was n- like nothing ever before. My dad out in Michigan got a special, he tells me a story that he got a special preview to go see this movie. And it, they, they, it was like a focus group, so he got an initial screening, and they pitched it to him as a space opera. He was like, what the hell? What but that? it was a free movie, right? Yeah, exactly. So he went, and it was, it just blew him away and my dad's not the biggest sci-fi geek but especially before that i mean he was very into like you know prince valiant and i guess as far as the as closest as he got to sci-fi was maybe flash gordon but it was all really you know westerns and you know high adventure this sort of thing but this is a space adventure you know and then they got um Alec Guinness, you know, I mean, in in this movie who you know the the guy from Bridge Over the River Kwai, you know, I and, and love he, Alec Guinness. Right, right, and he so he's in this movie, and it's this it's this high adventure thing that really spawned a movement and and a real um, 
a, a real connection among so many people, and I really believe that it it, it generated a whole movement in the, in sci-fi, not only sci-fi generally, but sci-fi television shows, sci-fi movies, and it, and even regular movies. It got it it was the first blockbuster. It was the movie that everybody and their brother went out to see. It it it, it people were going and camping out at the movie. People were becoming, you know, hardcore fans in a way that they never were hardcore fans for, you know, any of the any of the westerns or anything that came out before. I mean, Cary Grant certainly had a big following, but not like Darth Vader. So, um so I, for me really I think the movie that started the modern age of of filmmaking has got to be Star Star Wars. It's actually the first movie I ever saw, Star Wars. I don't remember it though. Yeah, same here. But yeah, my mom took me I and I was uh what, two, one, something like that. She said I just sat there I through the whole thing and vividly. stared at it. <laughs> Didn't squirm or anything. Huh. So I must have liked it. Huh. I remember seeing it pretty vividly. Really? Uh, and I was I was five, uh summer summer of seventy seven. And uh uh yeah, it was pretty yeah, see, it was pretty two. darn formative. The only things that I had seen before that were um, episodes of Star Trek and Godzilla movies on TV. And you got introduced and to quality. This was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I I actually have given a lot of thought to this, and I have to agree with Star Wars. Really? And I think, yeah, I don't really see that there's anything else that's been more impactful um, or society shaping uh, for the world as a whole than Star Wars, and I don't think it has to do as much with what's in the film as it has to do with the fact that it reshaped the way we think about movies, it reshaped the way we think about marketing. Um, I, I mean, the whole idea of marketing a film in, in the way that Star Wars started it came from that, and it, it's it's just well, gone on, like and toys yeah, and Yeah, was it the first one to have all the franchising? Crap and, uh, you know what, I think... I don't want to say for sure that it was Eric, oh, the first but popular I, th- I think one. So. I mean, I think I, I don't think, think there were like you know Godfather lunchboxes and stuff floating around. So <laughs> I'm sure that there was always some some general well, marketing rock. for previous movies. I got the yeah. Fredo action figure. <laughs> well, I mean, there was you know there was Wizard of Oz stuff. I, I remember seeing some of that yeah. stuff. You know, I mean, but but it wasn't as prolific as Star Wars. So so that definitely changed a lot. And I think that Star Wars crossed a whole lot of. Um, societal and racial and cultural barriers Landon. where it was a it's sort of a timeless story that everybody can understand it wasn't an american movie um it was just a story and i think a lot of people just got the basic tenets of it and it shaped i think a lot of people's perception of uh of stories and how to do stories and i know it changed the way movies were edited it changed the way they were shot it changed the pacing of things um, it changed the effects worlds. Uh, there's a lot of things that Star Wars changed, and when you watch older movies, yeah. there is a big difference mm-hmm. there. That's well, true. you watch something like 2001: A Space Odyssey and compare it to Star Wars. R- regardless of what you think about that movie, it uh, it's decidedly slower. Well, and, but and that just could be Stanley Kubrick too. But yeah, I was gonna say you gotta you gotta look at the director for that. It, it, there, I don't think you can necessarily say that 2001 or was the was the be all end all or the the um, the typical science fiction movie before Star Wars? I would I wouldn't say it's a fair statement. Well, and I mean I I tried to think back to like what golden age films would even come close, and I tried to think of things like Gone with the Wind, which was big in Asia for a time, and uh, The Wizard of Oz, which had some international distribution. I just don't think any of them that I can think of were consequential. 
like Star Wars was. Maybe the only thing that, that was consequential enough was like, you know, Birth of a Nation or something, which would have been, uh, you know, uh, D.W. Griffith's but, you silent know. film that started pretty much the entire movement of film. And that's only consequential because it started it all. But it really didn't change the world, per se, other than that it just brought the genre up. And yet stuff like Citizen Kane is, you know, very often rated one of the finest movies ever made. Yeah. But would they say that in Uganda? Or would the people in Uganda know what Star Wars was? I'll bet I you don't know. Let's ask him. Yoda, kick ass. It's good that we have the authoritative answer now. That's all been cleared up. The Ugandese are speaking. It's good that we have that. that <laughs> Cromley, how about you? I was going to say, it's good we have that special line to Uganda there. The, re- the red phone. The red phone. Star Wars <laughs> certainly wasn't the first sci fi movie either, because if it, one of the earlier sci fi movies that I only caught, I certainly didn't catch it in the movie theater, but I caught it much later on Please VHS. Please say War of the Worlds. Please Forbi- say War of the Worlds. Uh, no, Forbidden Planet. Oh. Welcome to Altair Four, gentlemen. But the Krell forgot one thing. Here's one. Monsters, John. Monsters from the id. I love Forbidden Planet. I Forbidden Planet for me is one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, it's you know essentially based off of Shakespeare's The Tempest, mm-hmm. but it's in a sci-fi world. The guy's on a you know crazy planet. You got Leslie Nielsen far before he ever was in Police Squad, playing a very serious captain, and you got you know the super hot babe and with her over uh, you know dominating dad who's you know tapped into this alien superpower and it introduced Robbie so the say, robot. Yeah, Robbie the robot, right? But the coolest thing, you know, Robbie was creature this creature from the id. He fantastic. And then they they had that, uh, you know, he put those shields on, and you know, the shields would go around. And I remember the scene when they go down into like the Krell, you know, areas deep yep. below the planet, and the monsters coming through, and it's coming through like the blast door, as it were. Yeah. And it's it's melting, melting the door it? on the I other know. side, right? I know. And, and look at like the Star Wars when they stick the lightsaber into the thing and they're like melting the blast door. It's That's the exactly exact same yep. scene as yep. that as the id monster coming through the door. Exactly. I think the best thing about Forbidden Planet was the score. The score was like totally revolutionary. Mm-hmm. First electronic score, and that thing was it was both creepy and cool. And very creepy. was it a score? Was it ambient sound? Kind of hard to tell, but it was pretty neat. Mm. It was f- f- fantastic. All right, so Cromley, what do you think? Well, I, I was actually going to ask you for some help on this one, but I think you've already mentioned it. Was I was going to say whatever the first movie was that I didn't have time to, to research this, but that took it, and I imagine the first inclination was to just film a play, right? Because they already had plays, and plays were popular. And so the first person or the first director to come up with the idea of not shooting it as just a play, I think that probably set the stage for all the other movies, you know, to follow with the idea that you could actually, you know, kind of break outside the box of just shooting a stationary you know, one shot kind of thing. Now, do you so, mean Griffith's a Birth of a Nation? Like, like the music man. He's a fan no, of Shakespeare. This would be 76 a trombones and the big I'm parade. thinking it was The Great Train Robbery, but I just didn't have time to, to, you know, research it so I could say for sure. So I thought maybe Bryce might... It, it was one of yeah it was yeah. one of those it was either that or or um, birth of a nation or maybe battleship Potemkin the mm-hmm. Russian one mm-hmm. there, there was a whole bunch of old silence that are right around that time period that started you know doing dramatic narrative that was not like a stage play they were filming so to tell you which one was first I don't know yeah because if you think about it, that's a pretty big revolutionary step to go from the the stage which had been around for you know centuries to 
you know, doing different viewpoints and some sort of special effects and things like that. That is a very interesting perspective. And if that hadn't happened, you know, then there wouldn't be any Star Wars or anything else. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very interesting <clears throat> thought. Was it, were those movies? They must have been. A, it must have been a silent yeah. movie. Those were all silent movies, right? And I've actually seen the train robbery. It was a while ago, though, so I don't remember a whole lot about it. I mean, it looks kind of kind of silly now, of course, but you know, if you think about what what it was then, it's uh, pretty impressive. Well, I mean, basically, it was Thomas Edison who invented the, the you know the process of film, and the Lumiere brothers who did the whole cinematographic process. Like it's one thing to invent the technology; it's another thing to turn it into an art form. That's yeah. True. My pick for this would have been the jazz singer, hmm. the first which was made one, back right. in 1927, and uh, that was the first. That was the first movie that had sound. That was the first talking picture, the first talkie. And that, if you think about hmm. where films came from, evoking emotion through image, now you're evoking emotion through image and sound. Hmm. And from someone, I mean, Bryce, you can appreciate this. You are such a sound guy. You love the scores. Think about what if. What if Dances with Wolves hmm. had no score? Or no sound. You had to read everything. What hmm. if yeah, what if you saw these big sweeping epic shots of him with, you know, two paws and you <laughs> And know, it was a dude on a piano. <laughs> right, right. And the guy with the you know, the 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 chief comes down and he starts doing the whole tatonka bit and hmm. you can't hear him. That's I mean, that's just huge. That brought people together I think that brought people together in experiencing things in a way that going to a silent film or someplace that had an organ couldn't. The what? The, or- the organ. Oh, like a pipe organ. The, yeah. A pipe organ, right. There, yeah, there was like a, to... a liver sitting in the front of the well, stage. Well, there were organs show. involved, but, you know, they weren't a feature of the show. <laughs> in the old days, they used to have a pipe organ uh, native to the theater, and there would be a live organist that would play live I, music um, accompanying Didn't I see Nosferatu uh, with you yeah. guys like that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have that different. in uh, in uh, Redford, Michigan. They've got a theater. They restored it, and they've got the organ there, and they did uh, some black and white pictures there too. Exactly. exactly. It's actually it's actually kind of interesting how they do it. Yeah. <laughs> My God, Mr. Los Angeles, you've never seen any of this? Of course. In movies. You've seen movies about silent. I saw Three Amigos. Oh my God. <laughs> Kern Katera, I think yeah, that's a pretty right. solid choice, actually. I, yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that one, but that's that makes a lot of sense too, for sure. I mean, I think that you're. I think that the, the ideas of Star Wars were has merit regarding current social changes, but I think if we're talking about, I kind of saw the question about most influential movie of all time as as in on on the genre, on the art form itself, and I think that that also kind of dovetails into you know bringing people together all over the place. So I've got friends who live in, you know, England, Australia, Canada, you know, the other side of the country, and we've all seen this movie. Like, Bill, you and I have both seen Forbidden Planet. We can both commiserate together the, you know, the sounds of the of the Krell and the in the bottom of the machine and, and that kind of stuff. I think it just adds a whole different dynamic to it. Dr. Morbius. Well, there's definitely been a lot of technical innovations, too, that are probably worth merit, but I just don't know if they've been big enough as to be world-changing. But, like, you know, the color in... Uh, in these uh, days, Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. It must have been like, wow, you know?
operator is a member of the sound crew who operates the boom microphone. A boom microphone is a microphone that is attached to the end of a long, traveling, or movable counterbalanced pole, arm, or telescoped extension device. The boom operator extends the boom microphone over the actors out of the sight of the camera so that the sound in a scene can be recorded. The most common mistake found in films is the appearance of the boom mic or its shadow in the film frame. All my life I've awaited your coming and dreaded it. Like death itself. What? I've terrified you from the first, Doctor. I still do. You're afraid of me and you hate me. Why? Because you're a man. And you're right. I have always known about man. From the evidence, I believe his wisdom must walk hand in hand with his idiocy. His emotions must rule his brain. He must be a warlike creature who gives battle to everything around him. Even himself. What evidence? There were no weapons in that cave. The Forbidden Zone was once a paradise. Your breed made a desert of it ages ago. It still doesn't give me the why. A planet where apes evolved from men? There's got to be an answer. Don't look for it, Taylor. You may not like what you find. Computer-generated effects versus the old-school practical effects, models, stop-motion, etc., stuff like that. What's better? What's preferred? I mean, have the effects become too over-the-top? Do, do things actually look more real now that they're all done in a computer and they can, you know, be so dynamic and move so dynamically? Um, does, the, does the magic of the story get lost when you're no longer wowed by new sights when you, because you've seen everything? I mean, what do you guys think? Hmm. It depends upon the movie. For example... Uh, the Star Wars prequels, episode one, episode two, we were talking about Star Wars before. Seeing the um, the CGI they did for that really kind of pulled me out of it. It, it seemed too fantastic, even though it was well, a fantasy one... movie. You see something like Transformers or AI or iRobot. AI? With why bring up AI? Haley Joel Yeah. Why, why bring that up? Well, the reason that I'm bringing that up is because... We're talking about the difference between Star Wars, which is a fantastical future, other other place. It, it's set in a different environment altogether, as opposed to iRobot, AI, and Transformers, all of which have robots, but they're also placed in major cities that we can somehow identify with. 
And I don't know whether it's just the fact that I can't, that I have a hard time pulling myself out of the whole fantasy thing and going, okay, that's all fantasy, that's all make-believe. Then I do seeing things like AI or iRobot and Transformers where it's their fantastical CGI effects, but they're done with the background of a reality base that I'm familiar with. Or Cloverdale. Cloverleaf? Cloverfield. Cloverfield. Um, That was more acceptable to me than to see CGI like Star Wars or, you know, something like that, that I don't have a basis in fact to base my experience. Do you know what I mean? See, I, I, I know what you mean, but I... I, I don't know if I can speak to AI, but Transformers, for example, was way overload for me. Like I, I didn't think the effects were bad, but they were. Okay, here's what I got. This is basically the theory then that'll outline everything I say about this. So Transformers is the exact problem I think I have with CGI effects. It's too busy, way too busy, way too frenetic, way too many like close-up shots that are rapid fire, fast movements. Um, you can't follow things very well. It was hard for me in Transformers, and I liked the movie just fine, but, but after a while it got hard trying to figure out which robot was what, but is who that, was fighting who. Is that shaky cam versus, I mean, that, that, that seems like a different problem than CG versus... No, 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 it really doesn't matter. Like, I mean, so... It sounds like it's more C, the way it's the CG is actually used, because if you think about something like Lord of the Rings, which has quite a bit of CG, but it's not used the same way. Yeah, right? but Lord of the Rings you know had I mean? a lot of models. A ton of a lot of models, models, but a lot of CG on top of that. Yeah, it was more of a I mean, think that was Gollum. more of a hybrid. That's right. See here, I, I think about things like, um, and Eric, you're going to kill me for even saying this, but the the best comparison to how to do it and how not to do it would be the model of the Enterprise in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, dun, and all those dun. long passes over that ship, um, versus the Enterprises used in like the next generation movies or beyond uh, where they're just like swooping around and doing barrel rolls and it's completely ridiculous the, the ships have no weight they have no heft they have no character at all but the the, the uh, enterprise is seen in the motion picture actually to me i just watched that thing on the big screen again not too long ago and that ship looks just damned real like it is a model so it is real and so all the imperfections you see on the hull is actually just the imperfections on the big plastic model mm-hmm. and they were able to build all this stuff in and the fact that they can do that I feel the same way about Star Wars the, the original 4, 5, and 6 yeah. the models there are just pristine mm-hmm. they're not always lit perfectly but when they are they're convincing as opposed to the models and stuff done in CGI well and there's still just a three dimensionality to them that, that the CG never quite gets mm-hmm. right you know what I mean it's, it's not there about yet the texture or the Here's what strikes it for me, is the difference between um, Raiders of the Lost Ark versus the, the new k- Kingdom of the Crystal Kingdom Skull. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. It, it, remember the scene in Raiders where he gets thrown over the front of the truck and he's like underneath the truck and he pu- attaches, you know, he falls over oh, the front yeah. and he goes underneath and he comes up the backside and then he kicks yes. some ass? That I remember watching that and then it was like on on TV or something like that at the time. They were trying to, oh, the special documentary on how he did that. And he was actually into the truck being dragged into the truck, albeit at five, mi- five miles an hour. But it was still like this, you know, fantastic thing that he could have gotten killed. At. And it's still, for me, is one of, one of the greatest scenes. It's just thrilling to see Harrison Ford underneath that truck dragging down, you know, basically endangering his life. 
Then you go and you see these shots of him in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and the where he's in the warehouse swinging around with his whip and like flying into it. <laughs> he's clearly, clearly CG and it loses that yeah. realism. It loses that sense of somebody that's actually in peril. Even though I know that this is a movie and at the end of the day the hero's going to win and that Harrison's going to be okay, but still in Raiders... For some reason, I was I, I got nervous. I still get nervous when he's under that stupid truck, and there's no way I can guarantee you that I'm going to be nervous at all for you know in, that Indiana Jones isn't going to make it in, in any scene. To some extent, it's it's given filmmakers a license to not be as creative. I, I don't want to cast a sweeping judgment on this, but I mean it, it's things like that. Whereas before, if they would have envisioned the scene where he's let's say he's the same scene, Bill, but instead of just like going under the truck and coming back the other side, right? He's like swooping through the vines in the jungle on top of all these things and right. everything, right? right? If they would have envisioned that scene, um, you know, Vilma Zygmunt or whoever was the cinematographer who shot that one would have come up and said, no, we can't do this. I'm sorry. And the budget guys would have come in and said, there's no way we can do this. And even if like Phil Tippett, they'd bring him in and they'd say, dudes, I, I can't do the models for this. It's not going to look real. And they would have canned it. So they were forced to come up with things that were cool and exciting without relying on CGI. And now that they have CGI, they can just do anything they want to do. Now, and that's now but at the same time, don't you think it kind of opens it up to more though? Can you guys give me an example of where it opens it up? Where it, where it opens it up to something that was really to, done well and cool. Yeah, the, the Matrix. Matrix. I, I, think, was say, I was going to say Cloverfield is okay. another option. But. The Matrix. And you think The Matrix because why? I think The Matrix because it's... I would say the first one, though, not the other two. Dude. Well, except for some elements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking about the original ones. Matrix. I mean, I, I still, I, again, it still has, the Matrix still has that core problem for me personally where I can believe more of the action in the city, even though it was the bullet time, and, and I understand how they did that, but because it was based in the real world, I could understand it more than the stuff in the tunnels or the squigglies and whatever. I think they've done a pretty good job in blending and using CGI to make realistic um, portrayals of environments really effective, like um, Saving Private Ryan or mm. Band of Brothers or something right. like that, where they... That's what I mean when you use it as like a combination of things. It's just another tool rather than just relying on it mm -hmm. totally. Yeah, Like, I don't think like they've got the sci-fi thing down yet. Like, I, I thought Yoda was yeah. kind of cool in the new movies, but they, even even in the third one where they finally kind of at least got yeah. him a little bit, he was never convincing. Lightsabers. I mean, Gollum was a I'll hell of a lot more The lightsabers. Convincing. The lightsabers in the new series are hands down better than the old ones. I mean, they blow the old lightsabers away. But that, if you, but if you use yeah. it in just the right way, I mean, if you're just looking at lightsabers only, I think it wasn't in the first one when Ben like pointed yeah. the lightsaber at the screen. They didn't have the technology oh, yeah, to do yeah, that. Right. It didn't work yeah. right. It didn't look right. Yeah. So you saw the you saw the rod. Yeah. You saw. <laughs> when we were little, we thought, oh my god, his lightsaber broken. Um, That's why he's losing to Vader. <laughs> <laughs> I kept wondering why he was shuffling around. I thought, you know, he had arthritis or something. The Force will be with you. Always. That decide. But the lightsaber is, like, amazing. Uh, you know, take Darth Maul's lightsaber. He flips it around. I mean, in my mind, that guy is holding a real lightsaber, and it's flipping around, and he's actually well, slicing through stuff. There's no idea that that's not, and if you, were to, you know, real. And it, that really comes across what well the best for me. part of the new Star Wars all three of them, the, the new trilogy was, I would say, it's the Darth Maul battle. And if you think about it, there's, I mean, other than the lightsaber, that's mostly just, you know, two actors going at it. It's not, or three actors, I guess. But it's not like all this, it's not the CG that matters. It's the, you know, it's there's a lot of other elements. And, and if they get too reliant on CG, it just, 
I think you're right. They just they just get oh you know wowed by their own abilities with the CG and it what they turn out isn't as good as it otherwise would be. Robocop. Remember that giant robot in Robocop? I mean that in went into the yeah. Oh my gosh, that thing was fantastic. Put down your weapon. You have twenty seconds to comply. And that was just you know a what was it with a stop animation where it yep, goes. That in, was Phil Tippett at ILM. I mean fan. Fantastic. That is one of the, I mean, that, you take that robot going into the boardroom and gunning down that guy, you know, against pretty much any of the bad guys now or any of the CG now. It, it's just as thrilling, far more thrilling than anything you've got. That are alive, you are coming with me. Okay, you guys are going to kill me for saying this, but I think some of the best use of CGI in a sci-fi movie that I've seen since the era of CGI, um, well, okay, outside of... The T-Rex in Jurassic Park, which to me is still just fantastic. Outside of the T-Rex, um, <laughs> Starship Troopers, I yeah, think it was great. Pretty good. Like I thought that they did a, a nice blend of like models mm -hmm. and CGI, and the bugs looked convincing as bugs, and the model ships looked like you know realistic looking model ships that didn't swoop all over the place and do crazy stuff. And for that reason alone, and that's about it, all it has like, going this for is great. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Starship Troopers, that's the one with the bugs all over the planet where they've got uh, multi-sex bathrooms and the one where they don't actually have any <laughs> tanks. Because who the hell sends in <laughs> infantry against these... I mean, the bugs only have blades. Yeah, I mean, why don't they just put everybody in a tank and just run over the goddamn things? I mean, well, that's... because they were trying to capture them alive. They were trying to get intelligence and capture them alive. Why? Why, why, they, they just run, yeah. why did you capture them alive with a giant cane? Because it's dropping my helicopter. helicopter. Because, because the same reason why the... they... Yeah, the government, the government wanted to get them to try to figure out how they could use them as a weapon and things like that. I mean, that's... No, no, you guys are wrong. They take away all the human drama if they don't dump all these guys down <laughs> into a bug meat grinder. I mean, that's what you... That's, you paid to see that. Uh -huh. <laughs> bug meat grinder. <laughs> bug meat grinder. <laughs> Would you like to know more? So before we leave this topic, I want to go back to um, Forbidden Planet real quick and just make another point that, that I wonder if you guys agree or disagree with. So we were talking about Forbidden Planet. Let me bring up something like War of the Worlds or The Day the Earth Stood Still or uh, When Worlds Collide, any of those sort of 50s, 60s um, sci-fi movies. I think the even Wizard of Oz actually is worth bringing up in this. So there's something about that era where they were really pushing the envelope of what they could do that the new movies have somehow forgotten in their quest to go with hyper-realistic, whereas the old movies had this like fantastic sort of... Um, glossy high color yeah, portrayal of things forbidden planet looked otherworldly it looked like this weird cartoon that was like I, I mean i really bought it but it was really fantastical it was like it was really taking me somewhere else war of the world seemed very plausible to me but it was like super dense high technicolor mm -hmm. and in the same way like speed racer the adaptation of the japanese anime mm -hmm. but oh, that's yeah. sort of almost exactly what i'm talking about whereas they're using cgi but they're using it in a way that's like so over the top it's like high comic book, high density, technicolor well, type. It's kind of like face, um, brilliant stuff. Uh, like Sin City or um, what is the Scanner Darkly? Yeah. The ones where they basically say, "Look what we can do," kind of mm -hmm. mm -hmm. kind of films, which may or may not be good. I think that might be part of the allure of the uh, of the Lord of the Rings movies. I got tired of hearing him cry <laughs> about the Shire and strawberries, but I could look at those pictures all day long. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely had that. Well, uh, they had that the model of classic that cinema. Too, which effects. Makes, makes um, a huge difference. So, in the end, uh, CGI versus old school practical, what wins, Bill? Yeah, I think by and large, old school practical really blows modern CGI away. The the difference is is that modern CGI 
when it works, when it's used appropriately, really does does well. But you know, looking at the body of work that we have in front of us, I have to say, go with uh, old school practical. I effects. think I'd go with the blend. Cromley. Like when it, when it's used, when the CGI is used to kind of augment and do things that you just can't do otherwise, um, it can be really great. Kern. I would go with old school classical, hands down. Um, I think your comments about the old uh, Enterprise were spot on and Spock really Spock on. off. Spock on. Um, the clapper. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> the Spocker. Spock on. <laughs> Spock on. Apply directly to Spock. I, I think that I think that definitely the the uh, the old school models and everything beat any kind of CGI, hands down. I'm gonna go with old school as well. Uh, man in suit beats CGI Godzilla every I don't time. Know about that. <laughs> in film, television, or video production, craft service, or the term crafty, refers to the department that is available to service the other departments or crafts. In addition to policing the set, they set down layout boards and protect the set area as well as provide tables with buffet-style snacks and drinks, making the craft service area one of the most popular places on set. There is a difference between craft service and catering. Catering is brought in from an outside company, which is hired by the production company to provide the regular hot sit-down meals that occur every six hours and last either 30 minutes or an hour. Craft service is a crew position that's on set at all times to provide whatever service might be needed for the cast and crew. Did Chris Columbus say he wanted to stay home? No. What if the Wright brothers thought that only birds should fly? And did Galoka think the Yulus were too ugly to save. Who's Goloka? Never mind. Listen, Centauri, I'm not any of those guys. I'm a kid from a trailer park. If that's what you think, then that's all you'll ever be. happened to all the news stories 
So have we as a culture run out of stories? Is there anything new to tell? I think this is uh, basically yours, Bryce. So do you want to expand on, on, on the question here? I, I guess what prompted this question is is that there's there's so many remakes right now. We're remaking freaking everything. Yeah. Or we're, we're, we're taking stuff that wasn't originally a film and sourcing it from something like a cartoon or an old television show and remaking that. There's so very little that comes out that's original. And even the stuff that does come out that's like an original idea doesn't strike me as being all that original. Like I can cite you on... Well, how do you define original idea, and what do, what what has to be original to make it original? You know what I mean? Well, well, well Dukes of Hazard. most recent stuff, things like <laughs> things like <laughs> yeah. Muscle Cars and Daisy Duke. Good good recent movies, for example, Cloverfield. It was hard for many people to watch, but I thought it was actually pretty fascinating. Yeah, but there at, was one at that some won point, the, to some extent, ahead. that's just a remake of Godzilla, right? Well, no the the uh, the the story behind it. I mean, yeah, it's a giant lizard. That's what I mean. Though, if you break stuff. anything down far enough, it's all basically the same elements over again well and that's exactly what i'm asking i guess is is have when was the last time we had anything that was really new i thought the um, movie. That and won, how far back does it go what i thought the movie that won best picture a few years ago and of course the one's escaping me now but it was a story about everybody who was intertwined and six degrees of separation yeah kind of like that Crash, yes, Crash. I knew it was a one-word name. <laughs> yeah, I thought yeah. that was. I thought the the idea behind that was absolutely novel. And of course, somebody's going to you know post something somewhere. It's going to say, actually, Kern, that was a remake of this. But well, why don't we couch it like this? Because I think Eric's point is going to be valid no matter what. Yeah. In, in that every possible element of every possible story that's come and gone, well, at least in our lifetimes, far and, enough, it's, yes. it's just kind of pointless. I guess it's going to go back to the old so. days, and there there are no original stories. I guess what I'm looking for is is where are things like which are at least repackaging the old ideas into new ideas. So I would say that the Matrix was a pretty novel and interesting new concept. It's funny, I was just Granted, thinking of that. It's yeah. riddled with mythology that has, you know, come and gone. It's riddled with religious concepts that have been used before. I got it. I'm just saying that as a repackaging, it never felt rehashed. It was never like, "Oh my god, here's this crappy, you know, yeah. re- oh, it's, I know it's going to happen next kind of thing." Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's funny. I remember I remember in school, uh, I was in law school and I went to go see The Matrix and there was a gal that was from my law school that was sitting next we just happened to see her. She was sitting next to me and what was going to be my wife and she <laughs> laughed during the entire movie. She was like this is ridiculous. <laughs> the oh yeah, because it was I mean, what's his face from Bill and Ted's? I mean, he's like, yeah. "Dude, I'm the one." You know, and it's and she she just didn't she didn't get it that this was this you know she couldn't let go uh, and kind of see that it, see that movie for what it was and what it was trying to be because she was trying to box it into what all the she's looking at it what this is going to be like all the other movies that are around so yeah yeah another Keanu it was like Bill and Ted's or it was going to be you know some other lame movie but you're right I mean. It's very difficult, and when those movies come along, it's almost hard to understand where it's where it's going or where it's coming from. And I'm not talking like a David Lynch movie. I'm just saying like you know a movie that is really so uh, like that one movie where um, uh, the Memento almost. Yeah. I mean that was kind of yeah, a novel idea. The guy was going yeah, backwards definitely. in time. And it's like uh, you had to try to figure out where that was going, how that was going to work. I feel like I have to take notes during the movie. I mean, I just think about, like, how many times I go to the theater these days and I don't see something like Planet of the Apes. I mean, I, it, how many times I walk out of a theater and I'm just like, you know, I, I'm just not blown away. Like, I don't remember the last time. 
Well, but um, the thing is, is you're not going to get that in every single movie. It's just not, not never going to happen. You know what I mean? You're never going to get a movie where every single time you go to the movies every week, it's going to be a you know amazing ending and a mind blowing you know twist at the end and all that. Maybe it was because we were kids, though. Uh, but it, it always seemed to me like there was a just a huge spate of quality movies uh, in the late '70s up through the mid '80s. See, so that, that was, decade time period. But that just could be because I'm looking through it through you know rose colored. Well, it could be that you're glass. just okay. I'll, remember I'll, the good ones. Here are movies. Here are movies that I think that really blew me away. Die Hard. I don't think I ever saw a movie. I, I had no idea what was going to happen to that guy. Guy was stuck in a building. Great bad guys. Total reinvention of the action genre. I totally agree. Okay. A mo- movie like Airplane. Okay. Before Airplane, I don't remember ever seeing a movie that had me laughing so hard with one-liners, one after another, non-sequiturs. It had everything in it. I. It basically formed... Like, I still quote that movie. That, that and for something like Blazing Saddles or Young Frankenstein. I mean, really just blew me away on a comedic level. Another movie is Aliens. Alien was one of the scariest movies I think I've ever seen, but Aliens is one of the most kick-ass movies I've ever seen. The idea of Space Marine still goes into modern-day gaming. I mean, the idea of Halo, you get this guy out there who's just a Space Marine. Space Marines are all over the place, and I all look look back to Aliens as being kind of the first kick-ass space marines big guns stick them shotgun in the mouth of the alien go eat this and the thing blows up and shoots you know <laughs> okay, ass okay, okay okay wait Fan, fanboy gushing aside Tur- what name name one or two movies outside of the matrix in the past 10 years that you can give that kind of cred to yes i think i would go with kern and say cloverfield again that uh, maybe not that it was i gotta uh, see that movie groundbreaking or whatever but that i didn't it was it was one of these movies where i couldn't say oh i know exactly what's going to happen at the end you know what I mean? I mean, usually, you know, there's the guy and the girl, and they're both going to survive, and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in that one. I've got to cool. say, though, that I find it fascinating that the only thing we're all talking about are science fiction movies. Well, well <laughs> look who we are. <laughs> we are. But well, welcome, to, welcome to Tavern Cast. <laughs> right. Sci-fi movies are more likely to be this kind of movie that we're looking for, where it's got a crazy no. ending, and romantic comedies are going to be mind-blowing. No, I can throw one in here then if we're talking about this. I think Saving Private Ryan was an acceptable reinvention of the, the war drama and probably started off a whole spate of films after it in that age. Oh, yeah, that's true. And games. You know, and then there's been movies like Hotel Rwanda, for example, yeah. which was just... See, I don't know if I would say that that's necessarily like a fresh story. It's a true story. But it, is it a fresh story? Well, same with Did Saving somebody Private Ryan. It's just, it's just the same story, but done in yeah. a lot more modern... You know, modern. It was engaging in a different way. Yeah, it's more watchable to some extent than you know watching an old, you know, The Longest Day or something for a newer generation. So let me let me expand it out into this. Do you guys think that there's something within humanity that has that that every generation sort of compels us to sort of retell the same stories, the love story, the action story, the story of the hero, the story of the villain? Do we keep repeating this because there's something in us that needs to? tell these stories or relive these sort of moral concepts That's and interesting. things like that? That's interesting. I'm far more... I never thought of it that way. Uh, truthfully. Yeah. I, I mean, I've always thought of it as box office. Knowing what sells, knowing what works, go with a sure thing and you're guaranteed to return rather than having to tell the same stories again I, to a I new would generation. Think, though, that re- it's an the, interesting the, perspective. This- but the newer generation, though, I think we're dealing with a lot of people that, uh, like, I, I think I'm thinking like the Hollywood executives that 
rely much more on the box office and numbers now than they have. Um, it, they always have relied on it, but it's a hell of a lot more now than they used to. And so I think that's why we're seeing a lot more missteps in movies, things that just absolutely suck because it's not there's no there's none of that mythological creative spark in any of in not in any of them, but in a lot of the stories. Like they try to infuse it in something like Transformers, but it's just sort of hollow, mm-hmm. right? Whereas something like Lord of the Rings, it has just a fantastic backing to it already. Really echoes all the great myths, you know, which is what he was trying to do anyway. So, is that what we're doing in in, in essence, regardless of what the suits are doing now? Is just trying to are we subconsciously retelling the same things? I think we are. I think they're they're we we're retelling them with a a bit of a cultural reflection. Yeah. To get off the the whole sci-fi thing for a minute, I don't know that you guys will necessarily be able to relate to this, but for example, take An Affair to Remember to Remember versus uh, Sleepless in Seattle. Two mm-hmm. movies that have similar plot lines and similar storylines kind of, but one is set in a time where, you know, Deborah Kerr's character, Carl Harvey say her name, wasn't you don't have people that go around and teach children's choir groups anymore or jet-setting bachelors with women, who these debutantes and, and all that stuff. You couldn't relate to that. But it's still a classic movie, but it's not necessarily one that everyone's familiar with. But you get more of the, the, the contemporary, the, the culturally relevant stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's the same storyline and people are going to flock to that. So I, I think there's there's something to that. Well, let's think again back about the heroic archetype. So at the turn of the century, it was Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers. It was the future man. It was the spaceman, right? Then it sort of evolved into uh, the cowboy. Yeah, right. The the cowboy (laughs) was the the heroic archetype, right? Mm -hmm. And then it went from the cowboy to they had the biblical and historical epics, and it all ended up being like, you know, Roman soldiers and, um, you know, great men of history and things like that. And then it went right back again to, like, um, well, there was kind of a spy era, too. Well, there was a lot of World of, War II movies. During the Cold too. War, it kind of... Yeah, that's true. That's true. But the, the stories were just Don't forget the, Abbott and Costello the meet the but, mummy. <laughs> Talk about a myth. But they were the same. I love Abbott and Costello. Laurel and Hardy. M- Marx Brothers. The Three Stooges. Oh, duck, duck Soup. One of the finest movies ever. How do you mean they were the same, Bryce? Uh, well, they just all told the story of the hero. So the you know the hero starts off from a it's usually the hero is pretty much the same thing. I don't know if you guys know who Joseph Campbell is. Mm. Campbell hero with Suna, a thousand right? faces. Oh. Uh, no, he's a writer about mythology and how it and you know, how it weaves its way through the storytelling of the human race. Like Clash right? of the and Titans. Uh, sort of. It's just that it's the it's that there's these major archetypes. There's like the the hero, the villain, the trickster, the deceiver, the mentor. These these characters tend to show up um, in in their in the same archetypes throughout you know everything we do from writing to movies to television to whatever and they they sort of say the same things about humanity over and over again so in that way they they keep reappearing and I can think of all those characters coming up in things like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and and Affair to Remember mm-hmm. and all that they they pop up. It's actually a really cool thought about having that those same characters over and over again. Mm -hmm. In that way, I guess back to your question is, are there ever going to be any new stories? That's, that's actually a really relevant comment. Well, I mean, look, we've credited certain movies as being new stories, but they still, I mean, I think we're going, we're violating essentially our initial um, criteria that we were, you know, that there's basically seven different stories. I mean, if you look at the arch archetypes of, you know, the, their hero, I mean, 
every movie is going to have a person. I mean, there's always going to be some hero. If there wasn't a hero, then you've got, you know, what is that movie, Dinner with Morty or something, where they're all just sitting in a restaurant and there, there really is, it's almost like a conversation, or you get a Seinfeldian type movie, which is about nothing. And even then, it's, you know, you've got some kind of a protagonist. So, it, to a certain extent, you are going to have similar themes. It's 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 the ones that really push the boundaries, that show us something that we've never seen before, that really, you know, speak to us on a certain level and and, and create something new, I think, are the ones that are going to go, um, they're going to go the distance, they're going to become the classics. Like they're Water gonna be, World. Uh... <laughs> I was trying to think of the worst movie I could. Exactly. <laughs> My wife loves that movie, by the way. I like that movie. Actually. I actually don't hate it. Uh... <laughs> so, so real quick, because we know that they're never going to come up with anything new, what sequels or remakes or adaptations from other genres would we most like to see made? So, sequels, remakes, or adaptations? Uh, Bill, pick the best one you can think of. The one you really want to see. Well, there are two adaptations I can think of off the top of my head. One is the Preacher series. And I understand both of these are somewhat in the works. The The Preacher comic book series is a, is a terrific, terrific graphic novel comic book right that basically is um you know has so much going on on and it has such a great premise to it it's such an interesting idea i'd love to see that as like an ongoing series on a cable network the other i can think of again stemming from science fiction is a book called hyperion um it's by uh, huh. uh dan simmons um, yeah. And there's basically two of them. It's it's Hyperion and Fall of Hyperion. They both dovetail, so that's one giant book. And it's almost like it starts out almost like Canterbury Tales, where you've got a, a number of different stories going on in each. And the second part of the book becomes the real meat of the book. But it's got these great ideas of these three different factions playing, you know, high drama in outer space that it would be very difficult to compress into a movie, but I think it would just be so fascinating, so compelling if given the right treatment. Uh, that would be something I'd really look forward to. Hmm. Cromley? Uh, well, if, if you're talking about remakes that we are supposedly coming out, The Hobbit, I think, is the top of the ones I know of that's coming out that I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to. And then a little more vague would be some kind of... I've always wondered why there isn't more... Like well done Civil War movies. I mean, think of all the World War II movies that came out after Saving Glory. Private Ryan. Yeah, there's Glory, and then there's that. You know, there's Gettysburg, and then there's Gods and Generals. And Gettysburg and Gods and Generals aren't really all that great. They're yeah, they're fair. At yeah, and it's like why hasn't there been a Saving Private Ryan for that period, which is of interest to so many people. And with the, the CGI and stuff that you could do, you could really do justice, I think, to some of those. You know, it's awful hard with I think models. Glory to may, have. Glory may have been it. You're going to laugh at me, but I'd really like to see more musicals. And I don't mean musicals like, for example, I saw Chicago. I hated Chicago. Oh, my God, I hated Chicago. But at the same time, I one of my very favorite movies of all time is The Sound of Music. I love that movie. And I, it's that kind of, and it isn't just Julie Andrews and, and the whole love story behind it. It's the fact no that No way, dude. That movie is awesome. It is awesome. It's an awesome movie. I, I totally didn't buy it until you were you were harping on that for a long time. And when he finally showed it to me, I was like, no way. This movie's really good. Yeah. I yeah. Since it, I was a kid. What kind of musical would you like to see made? Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I've got a Cylon in my head. I can't get it out. See, and it's going to kill me. Somehow science fiction. I'm in love with Starbuck. 
She's a girl and not a guy, regardless of what you saw in the old series. Sorry, Kurt, I didn't mean to totally derail you. No, I am a Cylon Raider. I say by your command. That could be. I love the president. And I am an admiral. And then there's like the big number at the end where they all sing, and it's like, we will get to Earth someday. Do you hear the people sing, singing the songs of dead Cylons? We are raptors out in the space lock to fight amongst the masses. By your command. <laughs> yeah, I think we have a next hour guest. I think, I think, uh... I think we should sell this to yeah. the uh, R&D at uh, sci-fi.com. Yeah, give us a call. Um, <laughs> Bill, I'm sure it can be scheduled. create Foley sound effects. Foley sound effects include sounds of footsteps, slamming doors, rain falling, wind, and other incidental noises in a film. Foley artists use a variety of objects to create these sounds, often employing regular household items to create the noise that they need. designated representative of the city, county, and state of New York, I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray.
Now here's a question I've always wondered about movies, and it, 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 it comes from, you know, the things that I know a lot about, which is, you know, things like computer and history and whatever. And I'm wondering if for you guys who have knowledge in other areas that I don't, if it also, if you've also noticed this, but it seems to me that whenever Hollywood tries to portray uh, like an in-depth technical subject, they tend to get it wrong, or they tend to portray it either either way oversimplified or just get it flat out wrong. And so I'm just wondering if you know, from a medical perspective or a legal perspective or that kind of thing, if you guys have noticed that as well. And and that brings up the question: Do they get anything right? I mean, if if a movie was watched by people who knew about every subject covered in the movie, would they all say every different topic was just total BS? Give a uh, give us an give example. An example. Well, computer stuff is probably the biggest example, and it's kind of hard to... The recent Die Hard movie. I haven't seen it. It was horrible. Okay, uh, one that everybody else has probably seen, the computer virus and Independence Day. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do we even have, to, that's a good have one. to ask if anyone thinks that that's actually realistic? I, I do. I mean, I think it'll probably yeah. work. But he uploaded a virus to, a, to an alien station. Yeah, from his Mac. From a Mac. A Mac. I was a Mac at that time, and I couldn't get a Mac to talk with a Windows machine, much less an alien <laughs> spaceship. So, no, they were running point. Windows. No, they have to run every Mac. evil imperial so alien power. And even then, you'd have to be lucky. Tell, let me tell you. So, what were you going to say? They were running virtual PC. Every evil empire runs Windows. <laughs> <laughs> What, you don't think that the computers on the Death Star were Macs, do you? <laughs> they yeah, as no. far as I can tell, well, those, those were computers. British. They were all just like knobs and levers and buttons. <laughs> that connected to Microsoft machines. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but that's my point. Well, it's it's funny, though. If you look at the technology, though, on the space shuttle, I'm sure it's that's true. years it just... behind what you've got on your oh, high-end yeah. PC gaming machine. <laughs> yeah, and those, well, those are Microsoft machines, yeah, too, probably. It's years behind even an Xbox Hence, 360, but... I guess that's my point, though, is that whenever they try to portray something, people who know a lot about it, oftentimes they say, well, you know, they got that wrong. And so it makes me wonder if they just, they do that on everything. It makes me wonder, like, so if they make a movie about making movies, do they get that right? Because theoretically they should know that, right? (laughs) It's interesting. I don't know enough about making movies. They actually mostly know. Um, I'm trying to think of anything. I have a hard time. I mean, you can go back to, like, um, uh, War Games. And, like, the portrayal of, of hacking, quote-unquote, as it was then, I think is pretty accurate. You know, the dialing number after number and, and that kind of thing. But Playing tic-tac-toe? Well, no. I mean, in the very beginning, when he's looking for the, you know, he's looking for places to connect to. Of course, once you get in, there's, like, this supercomputer that can talk and, you know, understand speech is obviously a little bit far-fetched. Greetings. Yesterday's aim was interrupted, although primary goal has not yet been achieved. Solution is near. Game time elapsed. 31 hours, 12 minutes, 50 seconds. Estimated time remaining, 52 hours, 17 minutes, 10 seconds. What is the primary goal? What about something like, um, what the initial portrayal? What about something like Saving Private Ryan? At least in the portrayal of how people acted and clothing and weapons and tactics. I think most of that is actually pretty good. Um, I've heard, but then I've heard, like, I remember watching a documentary about it and they interviewed some World War II vets and they're looking at it and they're going, like, oh no, they would never walk that close 
you know, that closely bunched up. Right. They wouldn't be talking to each other. They wouldn't be joking around. They wouldn't walk along this ridge right. line. So, well, you know. Because at the end of the day, it is a movie. And that there is something called dramatic effect. Yeah. And the problem is, is that life is Free so license. goddamn boring <laughs> that, you know, you, you don't want to actually see the realism up on the silver yeah. screen. You want to see something that's a little more interesting. People don't realize that about ER. The TV show is not like, I mean, it's a, like a real ER in some places, but it's not like that all the time. I don't you think mean you don't work got... for George Clooney? Don't I wish. Are all the doctors and nurses sleeping together? Well, yeah. Um, but the... <laughs> well, maybe that's what Hollywood knows about that. No, of course, <laughs> of course not. I mean, everybody's got their own their own lives and stuff. But I mean, you see, you know, come on in, stat, blah blah blah. People don't run around yelling stat. Can I just give you like a, a clue? really? I do. You don't. Just you around don't my run office. Around. Mike can say to my secretary, "I need that copied, stat." <laughs> I'll tell you the movie that always felt to me like it was the most realistic movie ever portrayed mm. was um, Threads. This oh, movie I've called Threads, made by the BBC yeah. in the mid-80s. It was the British counterpart to our version in America of The Day After. It was a nuclear war movie. Mm. And Threads was one of these flicks that, who knows if they got it right. I mean, it's all sort of you know guesswork as to what it would be like after a nuclear war. But this movie was so damn depressing. I mean, whereas the day after was like, you know, the nukes went off and it was kind of unrealistic and a bunch of people lived and yeah, there was radiation sickness, but it, it, it always seemed like things yeah, were going to no get back together deal, and the government was out right pretty quick to like mop things up, you know, and, and whatever, right? America was strong and could fix it. In the, the BBC version, I mean, the, I think they went like 20 years into the future and the whole thing ends up where it's like, oh, there's the birth rates down because all the kids are getting born so uh, w defective and there's like no hope for humanity and nuclear winners killing everybody. And I'm like, oh, well, highly realistic, but no fun to watch. Yeah. But I, don't you yeah, kind of like it was mannequin interesting to watch, though? At least I thought it was mannequin. <laughs> Not mannequin threads. <laughs> no, that was one movie that I wish was like reality was mannequin. <laughs> I mean, you know go to the department store and like the hot chick wakes up and you know it's like your girlfriend at night and then you go to sleep and she's a mannequin during the day it's it perfect Kim I'm, I'm really glad that you're here for this time <laughs> <laughs> look man i got a martini Eric, a and two button? shots of whiskey in me <laughs> and this is where mannequin comes from and, and gotcha it's zapped zapped now come on zapped. scott, scott Bayo. Bayo. Yeah. right Mm -hmm. That's a very realistic movie. <laughs> right. All right, so, Eric, do you think, name the one movie you think got most everything right, or the one that's closest. I don't know. I have a very hard time. Of the, the topics that I feel like I know a lot about, I have a hard time coming up with them, really. Number one historically accurate film. Yeah, off the top of my head, huh? Um, well, like I, I would have said, uh, Saving Private Ryan, but then again, I, like I said, that documentary I saw makes me wonder if I, you know, I... As a non-vet, I I was totally misreading it. Uh, maybe something like Gloria, a movie we've already mentioned. I think that one was actually pretty good. But then again, I'm sure you know you talk to some hardcore Civil War people, and they probably say, "Oh, well, you know, they're using the wrong rifle here and wrong bayonet there, or something." So it's, it's really hard to know. So here's one: uh, Kern Kater, most realistic medical drama you've, you've ever um, seen or use of medical technology in a movie use of medical technology in a movie god i hadn't no, i hadn't thought about that um <laughs> it's hard to come up with off the, top, off the top of your head isn't it it really is and i can't think of any specific you know medical movies that were really all right you think about this and i'm gonna go to sunshine <laughs> okay. here uh, 
<laughs> most realistic use of oh, legal nonsense like in a movie. Go, Bill. Right? You cannot say legal eagle. <laughs> uh, uh, gosh. Well, you know, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll, How I'll, about mannequin? I'll, How about mannequin? I'll answer this in the reverse. The reverse that? is that the least realistic legal movie I've seen was The Paper Chase. The Paper Chase is the classic movie where the guy from, uh, you know, uh, Smith Bonnie, we do, we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. Right? He was in that movie, and he, and this is a classic scene where the guy, he's grilling the, the class on the so with the Socratic method. I mean, he's teaching by, you know, asking people questions just totally at random, and they did do that in law school, but it was nowhere near as competitive as it was, and everybody watched The Paper Chase right before law school, so everyone <laughs> Was paranoid out of their minds, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want this guy to call it." Everybody overprepared. Nothing like that. It wasn't, and, you know. And I went to very good law school, so it wasn't the fact that you know going to a lower tier law school and, and it wasn't like Harvard or anything. But it was um that was the that was the least realistic movie as far as what the law school experience was like. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but other, you know, legal eagles, uh, <laughs> the firm with, with Tom, nah, I, I mean, I don't work for the mafia. Sure. Yet. <laughs> Aaron Brockovich. I mean, maybe, you know, but that's kind of based on a real story as well, but I'm sure it's dramatized to a certain extent because, you know, they don't show all the due diligence where she was going around and, you know, taking depositions. And I mean, there's so much boring stuff that goes into law. I mean, even like the old... You know, even like Raymond Burr TV shows you watch. I mean, nothing is like, or Law and Order, for instance, where you see these guys, um, you know, going in the courtroom and arguing all the time. None of that is realistic. They don't show all the underlying crap that you have to do in order to get to that point. You really cut to the chase. So, to a certain extent, there's a certain level of truth in all of it, but by and large, there's no, I haven't seen any. Uh, legal entertainment <laughs> that captures the true experience of what it's the like. 28 hours of people doing paperwork. Is that because so you, you just can't handle the truth? Right, okay, yeah, that's another good one. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> it never gets that. Look, you watch the OJ trial on TV, you know, did you ever see a moment like, I mean, the closest it got to it was when he would, couldn't put the glove on his stupid hand. And even then, if you watch that thing, it wasn't really that dramatic. It wasn't like, <gasps> you know, there wasn't a, right. It was just. Well, that's why they need to add uh, background score music to trials on Court TV. <laughs> right. Or exactly. just to life I think in the general. same thing about sporting events, but that's another topic. Yeah, I wish I had my. All own right, Karen, coming back to you. Do you got an answer? Well, for I'm going to kind of go Bill's route and think of the, one of the worst movies, one of the worst use of actual effective medical usage. Reanimator. Of, yeah, uh, no, um, Flatliners with That's Kevin Bacon. One. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, not not realistic. I think remotely. Yeah, not so much. If you've ever seen it, isn't that the one where they like killed for, people yeah. and then they brought them back? Yeah, yeah. yeah the they're trial. medical students and they killed themselves to try to get closer to closer to what it's really like to die and is there really a life after? Blah blah blah. Yeah, no, that's not. <laughs> they're what very very like dumb medical students, is what they are. Yeah, we, I was just about to say, what do you think of all the scenes where they're like <laughs> smacking the guy in the chest and going, "Come on, damn it, come on!" It's actually called a. It's amazing. Well, it's a precordial <laughs> thump, and in some in some situations, it actually does work. Right, here we go. But. The scene in the yeah, abyss. Yeah. Is there any reality to that at yeah, all? Yeah, that's a good one. Scene in the drowns. abyss. Yeah. She it drowns, worked. and then he he brings her back, but it yeah. takes it's like a fifteen minute long scene. He like swims with her where she's dead for like 10, 15 minutes. She intentionally then drowns. brings her up through the moon pool, and she's dead. 
And they bring her back using a combination of the paddles <laughs> and him beating the hell That's out of her. That's more realistic, yes. Really? Yes. Really? Interesting. More realistic. Not so you're compl- saying you have to beat the crap out of somebody to bring him back to life. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. You beat him up to kill him and beat him up to bring him back. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll wrap up the whole thing by saying that I think the worst use of um, mannequins in a movie was mannequins. <laughs> 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 Thank you. <laughs> The casting director auditions and helps choose all speaking role actors in movies, television shows, and plays. They must have a very wide knowledge of actors and easily be able to match the talent with the role. Casting directors also serve as the liaison between directors, actors, and their agents. They're responsible for negotiating deals with agents and for obtaining contracts for each hired actor. If you're an actor hoping to make it big in Hollywood, Casting directors are the people to know. Okay, so we're going to go around really rapidly to wrap this show up. Oh, get Quickly. it? Rapidly, rapid, wrap it up. Right? Forget it. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so, uh, best film of all time. Go, I'm gonna, Eric. For me, I'm going to go with Star Wars. Just for my own personal all time. Okay, Bill. Godfather. Uh, Kern. David Lynch's Dune. Oh, wow. Really? Good mm-hmm. movie. I like it. Arrakis. Desert uh, Planet. Spice. Otherwise. I'm going to go with uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, Worst film of all time, Eric. Oh, man. That's hard because there's so many that I've walked out of, but I think the first one that pops to mind is, um, I think it was called X versus Sever, and I think I saw part of it with you. (laughs) (laughs) And we walked out and got our money back. It was so bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, Bill? Apologies to Mel Brooks. Robin Hood Men in Tights just didn't do it for me. Ooh. <laughs> Kern? That's almost harder than best, isn't you it? You know, why am I apologizing to Mel Brooks? Does he actually listen to Tavern Cat? Sure I'm going to apologize and say Police Academy. Hmm. Police Academy? I what? Hated what? We have screaming. <laughs> First of all, Police Oh, oh. You may have just ended the show with that. We, we might not get Bill back. I think that might... Bill likes that movie. It's the impression I'm getting here. I don't know. Bill, you know it's I the goats! Bill, dude, he was the... The Bill's... For every Tavern Cast show since he's been on, he's been comparing himself to the noisemaker guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
uh, High Tower Taggedy or whatever his name was with the giant gun. Oh, man. I would rather oh. I would rather poke out my eyes with sporks. The blue oyster joke. Hot pokers in my ears and piss my brain with an unsharpened pencil. That's always an option. Oh. All right, my worst film of all time is going to piss off some people who consider this the greatest film of all time, but it's Gone with the Wind. Hmm. That's fair. Hate Gone with the Wind. Yeah, I've seen it since I was a kid, either. so I can't really have much of an opinion. <laughs> it's a yeah, yawn fest. Fresh at the time. All right, um, <laughs> best director, best director of all time, Crumley. You know, I have absolutely no idea. I'm not one of those people who can tell you the director for any given movie, so I wouldn't know who, who to say. I just don't follow that kind of thing. So how about you just your favorite director? You don't not even really know. All right, your favorite director is Robert Zemeckis. Bill, what's your favorite director? Right. Spielberg. <laughs> By and large, definitely hands down Spielberg. Uh, current. Without a doubt, Spielberg. Yeah, me too, Spielberg. Uh, best actor, Cromley. Why do you keep giving me first? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Infernal Bill. Definitely the best actor I've ever encountered. <laughs> the best actor I've ever worked with. All right, we'll we'll, we'll go with that, Bill. Uh, I'd have to go with Cromley <laughs> yeah. is the best actor. Uh, now you're lying, that's for sure. <laughs> no, Seriously, I don't have I, this is a this is the hardest one for me to come up with. I can't think of a the the best act. Morgan Freeman. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, there's so many. Gosh, I mean, I mean there's so many greats. Uh, I remember Charles when Hester. I was in college talking with a friend, and we decided that um, Jack Harrison Ford had never made a bad movie, but that was like back in '97, and I think since then he's kind of broken his record. So. Yeah. yeah. True. Was that one with uh, Aston Kutcher or whatever? Like I said, <laughs> he's broken his record since cop. then. <laughs> with <an> earring. <laughs> yeah. All oh, right, so uh, Kern, actor. Jimmy Stewart. Ah, uh, see? See, that's a good one. That's uh, a good one. And I would have gone with um, Paul Newman. Yeah, see? I mean, you can't go wrong. All right, uh, best actress. And you know who I'm going to first, Eric. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, I just don't follow these things. I'm much how, more interested in the How about Kern Kater? Jenna Kern Jameson. Wait, who? <laughs> no, we don't count those kinds of movies. <laughs> oh, you didn't talk about those. No, I, I have no idea. <laughs> who is that? Kids, check the internet. I'll tell you what, Eric, just name an actress. Any actress, go. <laughs> Pick one. Uh, Carrie Fisher. There. Jenna Jameson. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Bill. All things Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Meryl right. Streep, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. She's, I mean, name a bad movie she was in. She's awesome and everything. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Um, oh, my God. It just left my head. What's her name? Jodie Foster. Yep. Oh, that's a yeah. good one, too. Oh, and I'm going to go dog. with um, Grace Kelly. If for sure. no other reason, then she's hot. She <laughs> was hot. Was. Well, True. So there's no statute of limitations. Quintessential. <laughs> she's a screen star. She's she'll be hot forever. Yeah, there is. Catherine so, Hepburn. And to wrap it up, what is the uh, best film composer, oh God. film Rice, music go. maker of all time? Uh, <laughs> Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, he's great. Mm. What's he done? I'm I'm. I gotta Eric, say, I'm... Eric likes Jerry Goldsmith too. And <laughs> Kern. I'm a John John Williams fan. Bill. Danny No, I have to go John Williams as well. And that's going to do it, I think, for our movie show. I mean, come on. 
<laughs> who is the best boy? The best, who is the best best boy? Hey, what says, is a best boy? Does anybody know what a best boy is? If you're ever on a film set at the end of the day and you hear the words, Martini is up, you'll undoubtedly see many smiling faces. Martini shot is a Hollywood term that describes the final shot setup of the day. The Martini was so named because, according to many crew members, the next shot is out of a glass, meaning after this, we're going out for a drink. Another named shot is the Abbey Singer. Abner E. Singer worked as a production manager and assistant director in film between the 1950s and the 1980s. He was notorious for calling the martini shot too soon, misleading his crew into thinking that the second to last shot of the day was actually the last shot of the day. Because of his consistent mistake, the second to last shot of the day on a film set is now called an Abbey Singer. show thanks for listening you can check us out online at www.taverncast.com give us a call at 734-891 nope that's phone number that's my phone number don't call it blah 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 <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> no that's my phone number 555 555 hot kern kern kitter i've waited forever to call you who are you i don't want 866 hot kern <laughs> She's hot. Hi, Kern. <laughs> Are you available on Friday night? I'd like to take you out. I understand. You like movies and musicals. I like musicals too. I like to sing. Sashes are live with the sound of music. I heard, I heard that you like Battlestar Galactica too, and I'm a fan of that. And when I, I think of you as the Cylon chick. <laughs> But I didn't just say that. I'm so glad I didn't give my entire phone number there. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hi, thanks for calling Bob. Leave a message after the beep. This isn't Bob. I know you're just joking. This is Karen. <laughs> edit, edit, edit. Give him the right phone number. <laughs> Oh, God. You can call us at 734-418-8727 and give us your feedback on the show. Also, jump on up to iTunes and drop us a review. Let us know how we're doing with the new format. You guys suck! <laughs> We've heard that before. Please be more in-depth with your comments. <laughs> My favorite actress is Christy Canyon. 
Who? I'm not. I'm not following you. And that's gonna be it for Taverncast, the Movie Magic Show. Bye. Bye. Good night, everybody. Bye, everybody. Taverncast is recorded live in front of a studio audience. Taverncast does not endorse underage drinking and reminds those of you who are of age to have a stout heart and drink responsibly. Taverncast is a Snapdragon production. Visit us online at www.taverncast.com. The Force will be with you, always. Shaking. Are you shaking Lego blocks? What is that? <laughs> Isn't that what it sounded like? It sounds exactly like that. <laughs> what, are, what happened? A little pieces of plastic in there. Eric is uh, shaking Lego blocks in his drink. Oh, are you not supposed to use Lego blocks? They're really cold. I mean, there's no supposed martini. to it. Exactly. It could be good. It could be onto something. The plastic castle martini for the three and older crowd. <laughs> Dirk Diggler. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell is Dirk Diggler?